Hi, this is Andrew Farris, and you're listening to Life Minute TV. He's co-founder and creative force behind one of the biggest bands of the 80s and 90s. Andrew Farris and NXS have more than 50 million in album sales, seven U.S. top tens, three Grammy noms, and five MTV Music Awards. Forty years later, the songs he wrote are still getting their due. Most recently, from this one, Dua Lipa and her 2020 mega hit, Break My Heart, which uses the beat and melody of Need You Tonight. In the years since, having written and produced for an eclectic group of artists from Tom Jones to Alison Porter, he's come out with his first highly anticipated self-titled solo release, a beautiful Americana country album inspired by a trip to the outback and his love of American history, a shining example of the true depth and versatility of his talents. We were fortunate to have him visit our studios recently to tell us all about his new journey, reminisce about the past, and what's coming next. This is a Life Minute with Andrew Ferris. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Joanne. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us in Life Minute. Yeah, you're welcome. So, so good to see you. Uh, how have you been? I've been really good. Uh, I've got a new record out, uh, self-titled album. I've been playing some shows. And I have a, an awesome group of musicians. I've been fortunate enough to have playing with me, and yeah, but I, you know, I feel uh, good about what I'm doing right now. It's great. It is great. It's great. Tell us about your new solo project. I basically I've always been a songwriter. So if anyone knows a little bit about me, and I can see a picture of my dear departed friend right behind me, which is over here, Michael, and that's me next to him. But we wrote about 300 songs together in a band called In Excess. And we had a big international experience with that. And we worked in over 50 countries with my two brothers, uh, Tim and John, and uh, band members, uh, Gary Beers and Kirk Pengilly. And uh, yeah, we had a, an incredible experience. We worked together for decades and um, loved that band, loved what we did. I love but, that band too. One yeah. of my all-time favorite bands. Yeah, great band. Good so people. underrated. Yeah, and then, uh, but I, I kept writing songs, you know. Um, and part of my journey, the how I ended up here, is I didn't necessarily start saying, well, I have to make a country record. I've always liked country music, and I like uh, bluegrass, and I like uh, lots of different genres of so folk music, and, you know, funk music, and uh, some rock, uh, you know, uh, some hip hop, some jazz. Depends what it is, you know, EDM whatever it is, but what took hold of me was as a songwriter, I started to go to Nashville as well, and I started writing with folks there, because they're like-minded people, you know, it's a very much a creative town. And I started writing with people there, and I thought this is good, you know, guys and girls, and, and different age groups of people, you know, some different backgrounds, whatever. But a lot of them were country music fans as well. But the other thing that happened to me was, that I went on a horse riding adventure with my wife, Marlena, at that time. And we went down along the southwestern part of the United States, uh, right on the Mexican border, and where Arizona and New Mexico meet right in there. And there's a little town called Portal. And um, there was a wrangler that owned, uh, his name was Craig Lawson, and his wife Tamara, and they, they took us on a horse riding adventure all through the Chiricahua Mountain area down around there where there's a lot of history in that area uh, where you have the um, Apache Indians. Um, 
of course, uh, you had the, the U.S. Cavalry, and you had the settlers, the pioneers, up the road, you know, Tombstone with the cowboys and all that. And I found myself riding around at first thinking I was just riding horses. But the more that Craig began to explain the history of this area, I was like, I was fascinated. You know, and I live out, I don't live in Australia's uh, beautiful coastline. I live out kind of west from the east coast, um, about seven hours uh, inland. Uh, I guess you call it the outback in Australia. And, um, and so I, I'm not exactly a stranger to wide open spaces, you know. And I, I have a, a farm I've owned for 30 years out there and we do cattle and grains when it rains, you know. No rain, no grain. So I'm riding around in that southwestern part of your beautiful country down there and I'm beginning to get this history lesson that I didn't see coming. You know, I, I was looking forward to the horse riding part. We rode horses six hours a day, six days straight. But what clicked with me was the parallel with Australia's history culturally. You have the bush rangers or outlaws as you call them and all that kind of thing. You know, we had the same thing, crazy people riding around, getting up to no good and then being chased around by the authorities and all that kind of history. Uh, First Nations and then you had the introduction of European people bringing other cultures and other instruments and all this cultural influence into both countries in the form of music. And the very early music was still like folk music and then became country music, see. And I was putting all this together in my head and I went back at that point, I'd always thought of a lot of the Old West stuff as being like a Hollywood film. But suddenly I went, no, it's not a Hollywood film. This is all real. <laughs> I could actually see where, you know, Craig rode and showed us places where, like abandoned U.S. cavalry forts that were still there, middle of nowhere, like, you know, ghost towns. And then there was uh, Apache Pass. And there's desolate areas. There's no, nobody around, you know. Uh, Cochise's stronghold, we rode our horses up there. And the point of what I'm trying to say is that you know, I got back to Nashville again where I'd been writing songs and I started talking to people and they were like, what do you want to write a song about? And I'm like, I hesitated for a minute because I know everybody likes to pay the rent, you know, they all want to hit, right, record, you know. So I'm thinking, but I, my mind was on fire from this little adventure. So I said, I'd really like to write about the Old West, you know, um, and that era before electricity. <laughs> um, and people were like, uh-oh, you know. You know, why did I have to come to this co-write today? You know? <laughs> um, but I said, no, I really want to. And I wrote a song called Apache Pass with a, a brilliant writer called Frank Myers, who's my vintage, and uh, I'm a big fan of Frank's work. And um, he and I wrote this song called Apache Pass, and that was really the beginning for me, which is on my self-titled album, Andrew Farris, because I've got no imagination. <laughs> but um, that's how I ended up starting what became my own because and then I thought well if I could do that once why don't I do that again and I looked back through a lot of my songs and I was re-recording all the demos and then I realized that some of the songs that I had from a long time ago like there's a song called Come Midnight that has a lot of like western guitar electric guitar sort of on it style that I, I wrote years ago that was really disconnected from anything I'd ever done before as a music producer or working with NXS or other artists or whatever I'd done. It was just out on its own. I thought, now it's finally time for you to be part of this, you know, that group of work. And that's kind of how I ended up doing it. And then your single, um, tell us about that and okay. tell us who your rock is. Sure. <laughs> yeah, You Are My Rock uh, is the last, uh, well, in, in the old school album vinyl 
record sense um, is the last track on my 12th track album and You Are My Rock is basically a song I co-wrote uh, my good friend Kieran Gribben and he's from County Derry in Northern Ireland originally and um, but basically the song is about thanking people in your life for helping you get through whatever you're getting through you know could be just life could be a special situation that you're struggling with or even just you're happy you're celebrating a birthday or you know something nice and enjoyable you know you know but that's what the song's about just thanking people what inspires you just as an artist in general Ooh, um i get inspiration from a lot of things i mean musically i'm inspired by lots of different music genres i think i said that a little bit before but lyrically i get inspired um normally by events you know uh, my wonderful wife, Mylena, says I talk too much about history, hmm. but I do find history interesting because a lot of it, where we're going right now, is because of things that have happened before, you know. And even though we need to live in the here and now, uh, things are always kind of changing at the same time. And, you know, we'll look back at what we're talking about if, if someone does in 50 years' time, and they'll think we're funny old people that were around 50 years ago right? <laughs> but to me lyrically I, I find it intriguing looking into the past sometimes to get lyrical inspiration from as much as in the now you know? mm -hmm. and not always about emotions I feel this or she felt that or I you know sometimes I'll, I'll go there you mm -hmm. know but sometimes I'm more interested in talking about um, the material world the physical world yeah. you know? You, this is your first solo project. You've done so much work, of course, in excess, but mm. Dua Lipa, and you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I was many years ago now, amongst about 300 songs I wrote with, with Michael Hutchins, um, you know, we we worked together as a songwriting team, and Michael didn't play an instrument. His instrument really was his incredibly talented vocal skills, and as a lyricist. And it was brilliant, um, absolutely brilliant, and he always was. And so, but my skill sets are a bit different. I play different kinds of instruments, you know, keyboards, guitars, and harmonicas, and bass, or whatever. And I'll play, you know, I play some percussion stuff, whatever. But I'll, I'll try to use whatever tools I need to create the mood mu musically. I also used to write lyrics, but because Michael was had his own way of viewing the world. You know, we used to work together more. I did a lot of music, you know, and he'd do a lot of lyrics, you know, and we were comfortable like that. Um, and we weren't competitive, which is an important thing. But the point is, amongst all those songs that we wrote, one of the songs was Need You Tonight. It has a sort of signature music riff that I wrote in it. That kind of stuff. And suddenly, lo and behold, you know, it's recognize as part of Dua Lipa's Break My Heart. And I'm a big fan of hers, I think she's awesome. Um, so I feel really, you know, privileged to be a part of all that on a writing credit. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I really appreciate that. And um, they gave us a Billion Stream Award or something yeah. for that, for, for, for that, being a part of that. And that kind of blew me away. It's amazing. I, I don't think a lot of pe people realize that you were the co-founder of NXS and you wrote, you know, created so many of those songs. Um, and it's so different from country. Um, I think that's neat too. 
I mean, we've talked about it, how you're so eclectic, but I just think it's so neat. Mm. Um, what, what bands were you inspired by as you, you know, grew up? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I was looking through some older photographs that my mom and dad used to have back in the day that were taken just with film, you know, bef way before digital. And in the uh, bedroom, I think when I would have probably been about 10 or 11 years old, I didn't even realize I had a big black and white poster of John Fogarty huh. uh, from Credence. And until I looked at that <laughs> photograph that mom and dad had, I had no idea I had that poster in my room. But even before that, um, uh, my dad uh, was originally from England. And he'd come out at the end of World War II. Uh, he was in the Royal Navy. And he came out with a bunch of guys and they set up a, a big company in Australia. He met my mother. She was from Western Australia. And then in those years, people didn't fly around in airplanes everywhere, unless you were in the military, I guess. You know, they, they went by ship, most people. And, um, or if you were very wealthy, I guess you flew. But you'd have to do a lot of stopovers to get where you were going by plane. So it would have made it prohibitively expensive, you know. So anyway, uh, Dad wanted to take us, my two brothers and myself, back via ship, because he liked ships, because he'd been in the Navy. And so we went around, uh, up past through the Middle East and Suez Canal to London by ship for three weeks. Never been so seasick in my life. Oh, but, uh, I bet. I can still remember that. Believe me. And, uh, oh. But my elder brother loved it. You know, he's always loved ships and boats and all that kind of stuff. But I freaked out. I was like, whoa, I'm a land guy. Definitely <laughs> a land guy. Um, but we finally got to London. And when we got there, you know, because Australians knew we were around, we got invited to go down to a variety show in 1964 and out walked the Beatles. So to answer your story, that was the first band I oh, saw. Wow. was the Beatles, yeah. <laughs> and they, they walked out and they played and performed on a television show. And <laughs> my brothers and I sat there and watched that and went, well, this is pretty amazing, you know. Um, but it was even more amazing looking at the technology. There was like, uh, you know, there was TV cameras moving around and people running around and lights and things just like in here and action like kind of stuff you know and um i remember when we came we went back to australia and you gotta understand perth the city of perth in western australia i think is the most isolated city in the world geographically anywhere in the world okay because you only got antarctica down beneath you there's penguins there <laughs> right and you know you don't and anything else around is a long way away you know and in those years, it's a long time ago now. Um, so we really realized when we come back, we'd been, in, you know, seen something that other oh people God. hadn't seen. Yeah, you know? that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, but I, I think that had a big impact. But also, I always just grew up loving music. I learned to play piano when I was nine, and um, my brothers learned to play as well. My younger brother played drum, played drums, and my older brother Tim played a classical guitar. He was classically trained. So I used to go into his bedroom when he wasn't looking and pick up my guitar. <laughs> You know, I started messing around with it. And um, so I taught myself, I still don't know where exactly where all the notes are. I just like, if I like something that I'm writing, I remember what it is or not. But I still don't know what the notes are. Uh -huh. I just, if I like the sound of it, I'll play it. But um, the keyboards, yeah, I was a bit different. I was trained for a little while classically. And then I got, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to play football. As a kid, I didn't want to play instruments, you know. So I stopped for a while and then I hurt myself doing something stupid, being a young guy. 
And then my mother said to me, God bless her, she said, why don't you start playing the keyboard again? See, because I was in bed, I'd hurt my leg or something. (laughs) And I said, okay, I'll think about it, but could you do me a favor and try to find me a, a piano teacher that doesn't just teach me scales and how to play other people's music, but shows me how harmony works, you know? Like if you've got a C chord on the piano, it's relative minor is an A minor, you know, that kind of thing. And and she was, I don't think she knew what I was talking about, but I was like, <laughs> I think what I wanted to do was to play popular music, that, you know, that I'd been exposed to, mm-hmm. uh, whether on the radio or TV you know, back then. Um, and as it went along, I began to realize more and more that uh, I was less interested in playing other people's music and more interested in how the construction of music worked, you know? But I didn't really realize what I was doing when I was younger, you know? It wasn't until later I realized I was interested in songwriting. You know? hmm. Are you the baby of a family with your brother? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I was a middle child uh, and my older brother, Tim, he was the oldest and then I was a middle child, Andrew, and so was my younger brother, John, was a middle child because we had a, a sister, Alison, who's younger again. And um, yeah, she, I, I actually asked her if she wanted to play bass <laughs> at one point, play bass guitar so she could play with us, but she just wasn't interested. She loved music, she just wanted, didn't want to do what we were doing, you know, which I can understand. Yeah. yeah. It's neat how many of you are so musically inclined though. What country artists do you like? Sure, I mean, uh, a lot of my influences when I was a kid were because, again, growing up in Perth in Western Australia, in such an isolated city geographically in the world, is that they didn't have FM radio, they just had AM radio. And they used to put every artist on the AM radio Mm -hmm. station, right? There was only two or three of them when I was a kid. And they would put everybody on there, including country artists. It could be Johnny Cash, you know, it could be, you know, North to Alaska, they don't, 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 like, you know, all the older Australian folk music, um, you know, pop music from, of the day. You know, it could have been the Beatles, it could have been instrumentals, uh, some little bit of classical, even some jazz, you know. And so I thought as a kid growing up, the fusion of all that music is what music would always be like. And then as I got older, I began to realise that no, especially radio became more and more segregated. Well, you can only listen to this kind of music, or it's got to be that kind of music. And I'm thinking, why isn't it all just one music? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You know? And that's part of my journey too, <laughs> right? Is you know why can't you, you have you know fusions of music? And I think that's one interesting. You ask about country music, that country, um, you know, there's old school country, there's outlaw country, mm-hmm. there's you know, and then there's modern country, there's you know, all kinds of bro country. There's all sorts of different genres within that. But when I've been playing live, I've been really enjoying, as as I said before, stripping everything back to more or less acoustic instruments again and just playing kind of old school, you know, on old school stages. I don't mind if it's not a big, huge gig, that's okay with me, you mm-hmm. know. Just playing a small venue, that's fine, I, I love that. Uh, sort of getting back to where I started again, you know. Yeah, mm. and then how did you start in excess and then how did you meet Michael? Okay, well, uh, we were, because there was three Farris brothers, we mm-hmm. called it the Farris brothers, it just made sense. And we played together the first night at a party. Uh, we knew it uh, just by coincidence, because uh, we lived in, kind of in those years where there was a large surfing community, including people from California. And there was a, a surf filmmaker from California 
that had come out and he wanted our band to play at this party. So we played this party on the August 16th, 1977, which weirdly enough is the night Elvis died. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and we did our first show that night. And um, it, we really enjoyed playing together and everybody seemed to like it and we left going, wow. Because that was the first time we'd ever played live. Right? And that went over really well. And then, uh, but that then turned in later, <clears throat> we changed the name of the band to In Excess. That's how that happened. How, how where'd you Michael? come up with that name? Okay, well that's interesting too because... <laughs> I always wondered. <laughs> yeah, well we were doing a, a show again along a surfing community area in the northern, north of Sydney in Australia on the east coast and uh, someone that we were with at the time had just said the name in excess and of course you know we were thinking it's the I-N-E-X-C-E-S-S -S. and they're like no no just look at the four letters and we're like that's it that's a good name it's clever you know and so we just took that and <laughs> no one seemed to think about it you know we went off we'll have that you know um, but before that how I'd met Michael was I was in high school uh, on the east coast of Australia, not the west coast where I was born, because Dad had got a job promotion, we moved to the east coast. In this high school I was in, uh, Michael had come from where he lived in Hong Kong. He was born in Australia, but he also lived in Hong Kong, um, in China, uh, for quite a long part of his life. And he had a different school uniform on, because Unlike in the United States, we needed to, girls and guys wore uniforms, school uniforms, you know. And he walked through the door uh, in a completely different school uniform. And somehow, you know, because we were the youngest in, in, the, in the high school, you know, the, the bottom level. I don't know mm -hmm. what you guys call Freshmen. Freshmen. We, there freshmen. we were freshmen. <laughs> there you go. And um, Michael walked through the door into the courtyard of this high school. And immediately some older people sort of started like looking, they wanted to pick on him, you know. Oh. And I was always, like I said, I liked football and I played sports <laughs> and I wasn't altogether always intimidated by people. So m another friend of mine and I walked over and just said, leave him alone, you know. Just, I don't know what made me do that, I have no idea. I'd, I've never been a Sagalahead type person, but I just felt in that particular instance that I just could see that there was an injustice of some sort, you know. And somehow we pulled it off because it didn't get any worse or any uglier. <laughs> and they walked away, you know. And um, they left him alone and he came to thank me. I said, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And um, we didn't ever talk much in those moments when, we, when I met him. We didn't talk much about music. Actually, we talked about motorbikes. And he, and, and, you know, and he'd, his background coming from Asia and that where he lived was pretty different than my background. And so we started, talking more and I, was, I thought he was always an interesting person you know and then he went to Los Angeles uh, he moved with his part of his family and then he went to North Hollywood High School Michael and when he came back again we were, he was older I was older and his you know whole thing, role had changed you know he had he had a lot longer hair and he'd sort of become more like the person that people would recognize him now I had changed too you know and I'd, I'd formed bands by that time you know, I had my own band, you know, with uh, other people in it, and including Gary, that would later play within Excess. Um, and then Michael, and I, I, you know, I said to Michael, why don't, you, why don't you and I try to write together, you know, write some songs. And we did, we started writing and we just had this click thing. Um, 
you know, I guess it's like other high school band stores, you know, I guess. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Mm. Uh, it's such a great, it still makes me sad thinking it's such a great loss, you know. Yeah, well, that's right. Here. I'll tell you it something interesting. Bothers me. Well, absolutely <laughs> a terrible loss. Um, and especially for his, you know, his family and his friends and people that cared about him and the fans, of course, that really loved Michael. It was terrible. But um, I also got to say that there were some really interesting things in the early years when we first came to the United States and started playing as a band, as in excess. And I remember in 1983, we played uh, the US Festival uh, in California, 250,000 people. And that's about to be, that's about to come out actually, that footage of us doing that. Really? Yeah, I saw a sneak preview of that. It's pretty cool. That's a huge big gig that freaked me out um, <laughs> um, <laughs> at the time. And we also played a show called Rock and Roll Tonight in that first three months we were touring in the United States. And that was Eric Clapton on that show with us in Simple Minds, a Scottish band. And then we'd gone, played live on television. We played well. You know, we, we were good, always a good oh live God, band. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. Ray Manzarek turns up from The Doors, the band The Doors, and he's standing at the dressing room <laughs> door. And I'm looking at him going, that's Ray Manzarek. You know? <laughs> and, and I was, what, 22 or 23 or something? And I said, um, hi, you know, how can we help you? Come on in. You know? And he said, I just was sitting at home watching this on television, this show, and I saw your singer come on. Where is he? I said, he's over there in the corner of the room. I said, why don't you come in? He'd love to meet you. He said, sure. So he came in and he walked over. And then I heard him say mm. to Michael, I was sitting at home watching you on television and you reminded me so much of Jim yeah. Morrison, you know, yeah. that, that yeah. I wanted to come and say hello to you. Oh, wow. And I was pretty, I was, and that, we'd only just been in the US for less than three months or something, you know, and I'm going, what is happening, you know? And I felt, and we all did an instant connection or something was happening. We were meant to be there, meant to be here, whatever. Yeah. Best band ever. One hit after the other, <laughs> you know, that you don't even think of until you start thinking about, oh my gosh, oh yeah, that's an incredible thing. There was a time when I did not care. I think. One of the interesting things for me about what I'm doing now as Andrew Ferris with my own country music is I've just been really excited again to do something where I feel creatively, um, you know, I've got an audience that is actually interested in what I'm doing, you know, as a solo artist and I want to thank everybody out there that's kind of listening to my music or whatever and I just want to say thanks. Um, mm, so and cool. I, you know, I'm having a good time at the moment, and I'll keep doing it if people are interested. I'm so glad you're in doing it. it. Yeah, I'll keep doing it. What's next? What's next mm. that you want to do? Mm. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said be before, I'm a, I'm a sort of a, a, I can't help it. I'm a song, songwriting guy. Like I'll keep writing songs, and one of the things I'm trying to do is to trust myself more. You know, to write just on my own all the time. I mean, I had about four or five tracks I think on my own album that I wrote just by myself but I'm learning to trust my instincts a bit better as a songwriter you know um, to write for me you know uh -huh. uh, yeah I'm still learning I don't know I guess for people that have always been a solo artist 
in, yeah. their, you know, in their career. And it's always been about them. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess they're used to that, <laughs> if anyone's watching this or listening to me or whatever. But when you've been in a band and there's other people that you, you know, have to think about and consider yeah. what their likes are, what their tastes are and, you know, their yeah. artistic endeavours and how they feel about something, that's also a really interesting learning curve because, you know, I think that's why some of the older bands especially were so well accepted by people is because you had the, you know, you had this, I don't know how to put it, fusion mm-hmm. of different energies coming in to to make up the music. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you, you get exceptionally talented people together. It's exceptionally good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah different perspective, I That's guess, right. creating for yourself versus the whole band. Yeah. That's right. I mean, it's neat. You can pay people all, all day long to do things for you. <laughs> but, you know, just to be able to be receptive to other people's ideas is, you know, is, is a powerful thing. Yeah. How long are you uh, in town for? Uh, well, we're not here yeah. long this time, but I'll come back. Uh, well, we, we've, we've really only been here less than 48 hours. I seem to have, wow. it's been a, uh, but a really good experience. Uh, I've always liked New York City. And, um, Are you going to be touring? Yeah, I'd like to tour. Well, I mean, I have been playing some live shows and it's been really challenging for me in a really good way, <laughs> where a lot of the earlier part of my career, uh, I watched the transition, and it's still transitioning, of technology coming into the music industry, you know, and the way it's unfolded. Uh, and I got excited about all that in the old days. I, I used to work a lot with keyboards and synthesizers and samplers and drum machines, and then it turned into, you know, programs in, on the computer <laughs> and you're programming yeah. everything and working on those sort of software sort of landscapes or whatever. but. I'm about to say next, I'm going to deep dive into saying that what I have been doing is weaning myself off technology and actually just playing with people again, playing acoustic instruments. And, you know, it's been funny, it's like letting loose of lifelines all the time. Because it's like you have these safety things that most people get into this habit of working with, especially with technology. But as it's going along, I'm like, I'll just play acoustic guitar for a while and I'll get a fiddle player and a mandolin player and they're really good at what they do. And then, no, feel more confident, you know, confident, please, sing along if you want. And then I'll get a bass player, you know, and you can play an upright bass if you want, or, you know, and oh, and actually go backwards in time more and more yeah. musically, you know, and, yeah. and, and even vocally, you know, I'm trying to make sure that, especially in an era where so much technology is used all the time to enhance the quality of your voice, is I'm trying to, you know, get my act together vocally live all the time. So I sing better and improve my my acoustic talents again, you know, yeah, as best I can. Because cool. then when you pick up an electronic instrument, it's like it's like having the most awesome Ferrari, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you can play something acoustically, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's the real deal. <laughs> yeah, like it, yeah. you know, it makes the electronic things just seem so cool. You know? That's mm. neat. Are people, you think, are your fans surprised about the music you're doing now? You think old NXS fans are, will be surprised or are surprised? Or well, I think... Or they get you know, it. Yeah, I think a lot of things. I mean, I think NXS's, you know, fans are on say thank you so much for everyone that's followed everything that we've done over the years. But I think my journey is my journey. I mean, I, I, I you know, I 
I don't know. My dad used to have a lot of sayings. One of them was no regrets. You know, I, I don't regret anything I ever did with NXS. I love my, my experiences that we had together and we shared things together and highs and lows, you know, but I'm doing something else. That's a good life lesson. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, we, you, you, you do the best with what you have when you can do it. Yeah. Mm. That's mm. a good one. The other thing I, I should say is a lot of my influence uh, for uh, the visuals that I've been doing, um, including like the, my album artwork over here, and, uh, it's very, know, it's very yeah, cool. Yeah, the, the okay. artwork and, and especially the vinyl, on on, on what a vinyl. Uh, that when I first put physical product together, you know, someone <laughs> of my vintage said, "Yeah, you know, Andrew, it's all digital now." You know, and I'm like, "Yeah, I know that," <laughs> but I, I like the tangible thing with physical product. And so we had a a, a friend of ours, uh, Marlena, my wife and I, have a friend called Kiki Kiana, and she lives up in Montana, and she's just incredibly talented. Uh, with graphic art, with lots of things, she's really talented at that. But um, and digital mediums, and she designed the artwork with with um, suggestions and that uh, Marlena and I had had for the vinyl. Wow! Oh my goodness! <gasps> she did all this artwork. Yeah, wow, that's beautiful. Incredibly talented. Um, Look at this! Wow. Yeah. If I said to you, where's your music collection, what are you going to tell me? To my, Mine? To my smartphone? Not, no, not me. Mine's wow. in my basement. Right, I have oh, a lot cool. of vinyl okay. and DVDs that, down there. That, we still have hard. all shelves of DVDs. I was going to say that. For me, the physical thing is, is goes back to my, when I was a lot younger. And I watched the whole progression of digital and all the rest of it. And, but I do, yeah. I do like the physical, tangible thing. Um, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, plus, you can get a lot more arty just like that with yeah, it. You know? Yeah, for sure. What I am thinking about a lot at the moment in my creative life and what I want to do next, I've got some ideas hmm. about what I want to do next. I, want, I don't want to share them, but, I'm, but my mind is on <laughs> well, it. Well, forget it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But my mind is on it. Let's put it that way. I, I live in the now, but I'm thinking about what's coming. Yeah, so. yeah. As, as an artist, you're lucky if anyone likes you or your music or your songs or anything and you're fortunate to get anywhere really um, and uh, you know so I, for me to go back I've virtually started all over again as an you know even though I had this I've, I've worked sure, as a music yeah. producer with other artists and I've done all sorts of things co-written with people yeah. over the years you know and of course my experience with NXS has been invaluable for me and I hope for them but um, but what I'm doing now is kind of really going back to where I originally started. I yeah. think, yeah, yeah, with physical instruments. Yeah. Well, congratulations! You're doing great. It's Thanks, awesome. Thanks, I appreciate it. I'm so happy you came. Such an yeah. honor and a pleasure to talk to you. Great, yeah, great to talk and, to you uh, too. To see more of this interview, visit our website, lifeminute.tv, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.